4. Ted from the Calcutta Review Volume 61, page 93 is saying that among the Nagas, frontier tribes of northeast India only very young children live entirely with their parents. The women have also a house of their own called the Dikaichang, where the unmarried girls are supposed to live. Again Mr. Dement wrote, I saw Dikaichang here for the first time. All the unmarried girls sleep there at night, but it is deserted in the day. It is not much different from any ordinary house. Separate sleeping houses for girls similar to the Olag, I judge, are also found occasionally in Assam, whereas, so far as known, the Olag occurs with the Idra only among the Bantak culture group. Yet the above quotations and references point to a similar institution among distant people among some of the same people who have an institution very similar to the Pabathunan and Thali. Afong Afong is the general name for Bantak dwellings, of which there are two kinds. The first is the Fayupilas, XXXIV and XXXVI, the large, open, board dwelling, some 12 by 15 feet square, with side walls only 3-1-2 feet high, and having a tall, top-heavy grass roof. It is the home of the prosperous. The other is the Kaiyufong place XXXVII, the smaller, closed, frequently mud-walled dwelling of poor families, and commonly of the widows. The family dwelling primarily serves two purposes it is the place where the man, his wife, and small child sleep, and where the entire family takes its food. The Fayu is built at considerable expense. Three or four men are required for a period of about two months to get out the pine boards and timbers in the forest. Each piece of timber for any permanent building is completed at the time it is cut from the tree, and is left to season in the mountains, sometimes it remains several years. See place XXXB. When all is ready to construct the dwelling the owner announces his intention. Some 200 men of the Pueblo gather to erect the building, and two or three dozen women come to prepare and cook the necessary food. For, whereas no wage is paid the laborers, all are feasted at the cost of much rice and several hogs and a carabao or two. The toiling and feasting continue about 10 days. The following description of a Fayu is of an ordinary dwelling in Bantak Pueblo. The Fayu are all constructed on the same plan, though a few are larger than the one here described, and some few are smaller. The front and back walls of the house are 3 feet 6 inches high and 12 feet 6 inches long. The two side walls are the same height as the ends, but are 15 feet 6 inches long. The rear wall is built of stones carefully chinked with mud. The side walls consist each of two boards extending the full length of the structure. The front wall is cut near the middle from top to bottom with a doorway 1 foot 4 inches wide, otherwise the front wall is like the two side walls, except that it has a roughly triangular timber grooved along the lower side and fitted over the top board as a cap. The doorposts are to timber sunk in the ground, their tops fit into the two caps, and each has a groove from top to bottom into which the ends of the boards of the front wall are inserted. A few dwellings have a door consisting of a single board set on end and swinging on a projection sunk in a hole in a door sill buried in the earth, the upper part of the door swings on a string secured to the door post and passing through a hole in the door, at each of the four corners of the building, immediately inside the walls, is a post set in the ground and standing 6 feet 9 inches high, the boards of the walls are tied to these corner posts, and the greater part of the weight of the roof rests on their tops, for other posts also planted in the ground and about as high as the corner posts, stand about four feet inside the walls of the house equidistant from the corner post and marking the corners of a rectangle about five one two feet square, 
they directly support the second story of the building. There is no floor except the earth in the first story of the Bontoc dwelling, and from the door at the front of the building to the two rear posts of the four central ones there is an unobstructed passage or aisle called Chalanan. At one's left, as he enters the door, is a small room called Chapin 512 feet square separated from the aisle by a row of low stones partially sunk in the earth. The earth in this room is excavated so that the floor is about one foot lower than that of the remainder of the building, and in its center the peculiar double wooden rice mortar is embedded in the earth. It is in the chapin that the family rice and millet is threshed, at the left of the aisle and immediately beyond the chapin, separated from it by a board partition the same height as the outside walls of the house, is the cooking room, called Chali Kanan It is approximately the same size as the threshing room. There are neither boards nor stones to cut this cooking room off from the open aisle of the house, but its width is determined by a low pile of stones built along its farther side from the outer house wall toward the aisle and ending at the rear left post of the four central ones. In the face of this stone wall are three concavities fireplaces over which cooking pots are placed, arranged along the outer wall, and about two feet high, is a board shelf on which the water jars are kept, at the right of the aisle. As one enters the building, is a broad shelf about 12 feet long, in width it extends from the side wall to the two right central posts. On this shelf, called Chukso, are placed the various baskets and other utensils and implements of everyday use. Beneath it are stored the small cages or coops in which the chickens sleep at night. There are a few Fayu in Bantak in which the threshing room and cooking room are on the right of the aisle and the long benches on the left, but they are very rare exceptions. In the rear of the building is a board partition apparently extending from one side wall to the other. The bench at the right of the aisle ends against this partition, and on the left the stone fireplaces are built against it. This rear section is covered over with boards at the height of the outside wall, so that a low box is formed, 312 feet high and 414 feet wide. At the rear of the aisle a door 3 feet high and 1 foot 4 inches wide swings into this rear apartment, which, when the door is again closed, is as black as night. An examination of the inside of this section shows it to be entirely walled with stones except where the narrow door cuts it. My inside measure it is only 3 feet 6 inches wide and 6 feet 6 inches long. This is the sleeping apartment, and is called Engen. As one crawls into this kennel he is likely to place his hands among ashes and charred sticks which mark the place for a fire on cold nights. The left end of the Engen contains two boards or beds for the man and his wife. Each board is about 18 inches wide and 4 feet long, they are raised 2 or 3 inches from the earth, and the head of the bed is slightly higher than the foot. A pole is laid across the apartment at the lower end of the sleeping boards, and on this the occupants rest their feet and toast them before the small fire. At both ends of the engen, outside the store walls, is a small hidden secret space called KUBKUB, in which the family hides many of its choice possessions, during abundant commote gathering. However, I have seen the KUBKUB filled with commodes. I should probably not have discovered these spaces had there not been so great a discrepancy between the inside measure of the sleeping room and width of the building. I know of no other primitive dwellings in the Philippines than the ones in the Bantok culture area which are built directly on the ground. Most of them are raised on posts several feet from the earth. Some few have side walls extending to the ground, but even those have a floor raised to 3 or more feet from the ground and which is reached by means of a short ladder. The second story of the Bantak dwelling is supported on the four central posts. 
on all sides it projects beyond them, so that it is about seven feet square, it is about five feet high. A door enters the second story directly from the aisle, and is reached by an eight-foot ladder. This second story is constructed, floor and side walls, of boards. The side walls cease at about the height of two feet where a horizontal shelf is built on them extending outside of them to the roof. It is about two feet wide and is usually stored with a threshed rice and millet or with jars of preserved meats. Just at the left on the floor, as one enters the second story, is an earth-filled square corner walled in by two poles. On this earth are three stones the fireplace, where each year a chicken is cooked in a household ceremony at the close of rice harvests. Rising above the second story is a third. In the smaller dwellings this third story is only an attic of the second. But in the larger buildings it is an independent story. To be sure, it is entered through the floor. But a ladder is used. And its floor is of strong heavy boards. It is at all times a storeroom. Usually only for cereals. In the smaller houses it amounts simply to a broad shelf about the height of one's waist as he stands on the floor of the second story and his head and upper body rise through the hole in the floor. In the larger houses a person may climb into the third story and work there with practically as much freedom as in the second. The five-foot ridge pole of the steep, heavy, grass roof is supported by two posts rising from the basal timbers of the third story. The roof falls away sharply from the ridge pole not only at the sides but at the ends so that, except at the ridge, the roof appears square. Immediately beneath both ends of the ridge pole there is a small opening in the grass through which the smoke of the cooking fires is supposed to escape. However, I have scarcely ever seen smoke issue from them, and, since the entire inner part of the building from the floor of the second story to the ridge pole is thickly covered with soot, it seems that little and consumed carbon escapes through the smoke holes, the lower part of the roof, for three one two feet descends at a less steep angle, thus forming practically an awning against sun and rain. Its lower edge is about four feet from the ground and projects some four feet beyond the side walls of the lower story. The Kaiyufong, the dwelling of the poor, consists of a one-story structure built on the ground with the earth for the floor. Some such buildings have a partition or a partial partition running across them, beyond which are the sleeping boards, and there are shelves here and there, but the Kaiyufong is a makeshift and consequently is not so fixed a type of dwelling as the Fayu piled close around the dwellings is a supply of firewood in the shape of pine blocks three or four feet long, usually cut from large trees. These blocks furnish favorite lounging places for the women. The people live most of the time outside their dwellings, and it is there that the social life of the married women is. Any time of day they may be seen close to the Afong in the shade of the low, projecting roof sitting spinning or paring commotes. Often three or four neighbors sit thus together and gossip. The men are seldom with them, being about the auto buildings in the daytime when not working. A few small children may be about the dwelling, as the little girls frequently help in preparing food for cooking. During the day the dwelling is much alone. When it is so left one and sometimes two run of stalks are set up in the earth on each side of the door leaning against the roof and projecting some eight feet in the air. This is the pug I pug, the ethics la conanidro dwelling. An idrum who enters the afong of a neighbor when the pug I pug is up is called a thief in the mind of all who see him he is such. The family Bontoc families are monogamous, and monogamy is the rule throughout the area. Though now and then a man has two wives, the president of Titipan has five wives, for each of whom he has a separate house. And during my residence in Bontoc he was building a sixth house for a new wife, but such a family is the exception I never heard of another. 
many marriage unions produce eight and ten children, though, since the death rate is large, it is probable that families do not average more than six individuals. Childbirth a woman is usually about her daily laborers in the house, the mountains, or the irrigated fields almost to the hour of childbirth. The child is born without feasting or ceremony, and only two or three friends witness the birth. The father of the child is there. If he is the woman's husband, the girl's mother is also with her. But usually there are no others, unless it be an old woman. The expectant woman stands with her body bent strongly forward at the waist and supported by the hands grasping some convenient house timber about the height of the hips, or she may take a more animal-like position, placing both hands and feet on the earth. The laborer, lasting three or four hours, is unassisted by medicines or baths, but those in attendance the man as well as the woman hasten the birth by a gently downward drawing of the hands about the woman's abdomen. During a period of ten days after childbirth the mother frequently bathes herself about the hips and abdomen with hot water, but has no change of diet. For two or three days she keeps the house closely, reclining much of the time. The Igra woman is a constant laborer from the age of puberty or before, until extreme incapacity of old age stays the hands of toil, but for two or three months following the advent of each babe the mother does not work in the fields. She busies herself about the house and with the newfound duties of a mother, while the husband performs her labors in the fields. Beedra loves all his children, and says, When a boy is born, it is good, and if a girl is born he says it is equally good it is the fact of a child in the family that makes him happy. People in the Idro stage of culture have little occasion to prize one sex over the other. Beedra neither, even in marriage, one is practically as capable as the other at earning a living and both are needed in the group. Six or seven days after birth the chicken is killed and eaten by the family in honor of the child, but there is no other ceremony there is not even a special name for the feast. If a woman gives birth to a stillborn child it is at once washed, wrapped in a bit of cloth, and buried in a commode cement or close to the dwelling. Twins the Igro do not understand twins, not a pick, as they say. Carabados have only one babe at a birth, so why should women have two babes? they ask. They believe that one of the twins, which unfortunate one they call a Tinfu Yang, is an Anito child, it is the offspring of an Anito. The Anito father is said to have been with the mother of the twins in her unconscious slumber, and she is in no way criticized or reproached. The most quiet babe, or, if they are equally quiet, the larger one, is said to be a Tinfu Yang, and is at once placed in an Olya and buried alive in a cementer near the dwelling. On the 13th of April, 1903, the wife of Ali of Samoki, gave birth to twin babies. Contrary to the advice and solicitations of the old men and the universal custom of the people, Ali saved both children, because, as he pointed out, Ani Lokano of Bantak had twin children, now seven years old, and they are all right. Thus the breaking down of this peculiar form of infanticide may have begun. Abortion Both married and unmarried women practice abortion when for any reason the prospective child is not desired. It is usual, however, for the mother of a pregnant girl to object to her aborting, saying that soon she would become quote on the common mate of several men, rather than the faithful wife of one. Abortion is accomplished without the use of drugs and is successful only during the first eight or ten weeks of pregnancy. The abdomen is bathed for several days in hot water and the body is pressed and stroked downward with the hands. The fetus is buried by the woman. Only the woman herself or her mother or other near female friend is present at the abortion. 
though no effort is made at secrecy and its practice is no disgrace. Child care of child in parents dwelling all male babes are called killing and all girl babes then. All live practically the same life day after day. Their sole nourishment is their mother's milk, varied now and then by that of some other woman. If the mother is obliged to leave the babe for a half day or so, when the babe's first teeth appear it has a slight change of diet, its attendant now and then feeds it cooked rice, thoroughly masticated and mixed with saliva. This food is passed to the child's mouth directly from that of the attendant by contact of lips quite as the domestic canary feeds its young. The babes are always unclothed, and for several months are washed daily in cold water, usually both morning and night. It is a common sight at the river to see the mother, who has come down with her babe on her back for an oil of water, bathe the babe, who never seems at all frightened in the process, but to enjoy it this, too, at times when the water would seem to be uncomfortably cold, one often sees the father or grandmother washing the older babes at the river, but in spite of these baths the idrill babe, at least after it has reached the age of six or eight months, when seen in the Pueblo is almost without exception very dirty, a child of a year or a year and a half is usually repulsively so. Its head has received no attention since birth, and is scaly and dirty if not actually full of sores. Its baths are now relatively infrequent, and its need of them as it plays on the dirt floor of the dwelling or pabathunon even more urgent than when it spent most of its time in the carrying blanket. Babes have no cradles or stationary places for rest or sleep. A babe slumbering or awake, is never laid down alone because of the fear that an Anita will injure it. At night the babe sleeps between its parents, on its mother's arm. It spends its days almost without exception sitting in a blanket which is tied over the shoulder of one of its parents, its brother, or its sister. There it hangs, awake or asleep, sitting or sprawling, often a pitiable little object with the sun in its eyes and the flies hovering over its dirty face. Frequently a child of only five or six years old may be seen with a babe on its back, and older children are constant baby tenders. Babes may be found in the Fahi and Fabifunon where the men are lounging place XXXII, and the old men and women also care for their grandchildren. Grown people quite as commonly carry the babe astride one hip if they have an empty hand which they can put around it, and often a mother along the trail carries it at her breast where it seemingly nurses as contentedly as when in the shade of the dwelling. Children are generally weaned long before they are two years old, but twice I have seen a young pillager of five years, while patting and stroking his mother's hips and body as she transplanted rice, yield to his early baby instinct and suckle from her pendant breasts. After the child is about two years of age it is not customary for it to sleep longer at the home of the parents, the girl goes nightly to the Oleg, and the boy to the Pabathunon or the Fahi. However, this is not a hard and fast rule and the age at which the child goes to the Oleg or Fahi depends much on circumstances. The length of time it sleeps with the parents doubtless depends upon the advent or non-advent of another child. If a little girl has a widowed grandmother or aunt she may sleep for a few years with her. During the warmer months one or two children may sleep on the stationary broad bench, the chutzo, in the open part of the parents' house. It is safe to say that after the ages of six or seven all children are found nightly in the Oleg. Fabathunon, or Thai. I have seen a group of little girls from 4 to 10 years old, immediately after supper and while some families were still eating, sitting around a small blaze of fire just outside the door of their Oleg. The idrill child as a rule knows its parents' home only as a place to eat, 
there is almost an entire absence of anything which may be called home life. Naming the Igril has no definite system of naming. Parents may frequently change the name of a child, and an individual may change his during maturity. There are several reasons why names are changed, but there is no system, nor is it ever necessary to change them. A child usually receives its first personal name between the years of two and five. This first name is always that of some dead ancestor, usually only two or three generations past. The reason for this is the belief that the Anito of the ancestor cares for and protects its descendants when they are abroad. If the name a child bears is that of a dead ancestor it will receive the protection of the Anito of the ancestor. If the child does not prosper or has accidents or ill health, the parents will seek a more careful or more benevolent protector in the Anito of some other ancestor whose name is given the child. To illustrate this changing of names, a boy in Dukukan, two hours from Bontok, was first named Asapang when less than a year old. At the end of a year the paternal grandfather, and TKO, died in Dukukan, and the babe was named in TKO. In a few years the boy's father died, and the mother married a man in Bontok, the home of her childhood. She moved to Bontok with her boy, and then changed his name to Falikao, her dead father's name. The reason for this last change was because the Anito of TKO, always in or about Tukukan, could not care for the child in Bontok, whereas the Anito of Falikao in Bontok could do so. The selection of the names of ancestors is shown by the following generations, 1. Mangila 2. Chokeis 3. Kamaling 4. Mangilot 5A Kamaling 5B Takayung 5C10AB 5DKA When Mangilot 4 is the baby name of an old man now about 60 years old, it was the name of his great-grandfather 1. Numbers 5A 5B 5C and 5D are the sons of Mangilot 4, all of whom died before receiving a second name. The child Kamaling 5A was given the name of his paternal grandfather 3. Takayung 5B bears the name of his maternal great-grandfather. 10AB5C and KA15D both bear the names of uncles, brothers of the boy's mother. The present name of Mangilot 4 is Olutetium 1. This is the name of a man at Barlig whose head was the first one taken by Mangilot. A man may change his name each time he takes a head, though it is not customary to do so more than once or twice. Girls as well as boys may receive during childhood two or three names, that they may receive the protection of an Anito. In Igro names there is no vestige of a kinship group tracing relation through either the paternal or maternal line. The people are generally reticent about telling their names, and when they do tell, the name given is usually the one born in childhood. An old man will generally answer Amama, meaning simply old man. Circumcision Most boys are circumcised at from 4 to 7 years of age. The act of circumcision, called Sigayat, occurs privately without feasting or rite. The only formality is the payment of a few leaves of tobacco to the man who performs the operation. There are one or two old men in each auto who understand circumcision, but there is no cult for its performance or perpetuation. The foreskin is cut lengthwise on the upper side for half an inch. Either a sharp, blade-like piece of bamboo is inserted in the foreskin which is cut from the inside, or the back point of a battle axe is stuck firmly in the earth and the foreskin is cut by being drawn over the sharp point of the blade. The Igro say that if the foreskin is not cut it will grow long, as does the unclipped commote vine. What the origin or purpose of circumcision was is not now known by the people of Bontok. The practice is believed to have come with them from an earlier home, it is widespread in the archipelago. 
amusements the life of little girls is strangely devoid of games and playthings. They have no dolls and, I have never seen them play with the puppies which are scattered throughout the Pueblo much of the year both common playthings for the girls of primitive people. It is not improbable that the instinct which compels most girls, no matter what their grade of culture, to play the mother is given full expression in the necessary care of babes a care in which the girls, often themselves almost babes, have a much larger part than their brothers. Girls also go to the fields with their parents much more than do the boys. Girls and boys never play together in the same group. Time and again one comes suddenly on a romping group of chattering, naked little boys or girls. They usually run noiselessly into the nearest foliage or behind the nearest building, and there stand in moving. As a pursued chicken pokes its head into the grass and seems to think itself hidden, they need not be afraid of one, seeing him every day. Yet the instinct to flee is strong in them they do exactly what their mothers do when suddenly met in the trail they run away, or start to. Several times I have found little girls building tiny cementers with pebbles, and it is probable they play at planting and harvesting the crops common to their pueblo. They have one game called I Catch Your Ankle, which is the best expression of unfettered child play and murder I have ever seen. After the sun had dropped behind the mountain close to the pueblo, from six to a dozen girls ranging from five to ten or eleven years of age came almost nightly to the smooth grass plat in front of our house to place a I catch your ankle. They laid aside their blankets and lined up nude into opposing lines twelve or fifteen feet apart. All then called, Sisiski A-D-W-A-N-I-W-A-N-I, which is, I catch your ankle. Now, now, immediately the two lines crouched on their haunches, and, in half-sitting posture, with feet side by side, each girl bounced toward her opponent endeavoring to catch her ankle. After the two attacking parties met they intermingled, running and tumbling, chasing and chased, and the successful girl rapidly dragged her victim by the ankle along the grass until caught and thrown by a relief party or driven away by the approach of superior numbers. They lined up anew every five or ten minutes, during the entire game. Lasting a full half hour or until night settled on them or a mother came to take home one of the little, romping, wild things just as the American child is called from her games to an early bed peal after peal of the hardiest, sweetest laughter rang a constant chorus. The boys have at least two systematic games. One is Thug Thug 2. In imitation of a ceremonial of the men after each annual rice harvest, the game is a combat with rocks, and is played sometimes by 30 or 40 boys sometimes by a much smaller number. The game is a contest usually between Bontoc and Samoki with the broad, gravelly riverbed as the battleground. There they charge and retreat as one side gains or loses ground. The rocks fly fast and straight, and are sometimes warded off by small basket work shields shaped like the wooden ones of war. They sometimes play for an hour and a half at a time, and I have not yet seen them play when one side was not rooted and driven home on the run amid the shouts of the victors. The other game is Cag Cag Tin. It is also a game of combat and of opposing sides. But it is not so dangerous as the other and there are no bruises resulting. Some half dozen or a dozen boys play Cag Cag Tin charging and retreating. Fighting with the bare feet. The naked foot necessitates a different kick than the one shot with a rigid leather shoe. The stroke from an unshod foot is more like a blow from the fist shot out from the shoulder. The foot lands flat and at the side of or behind the kicker and the blow is aimed at the trunk or head it usually lands higher than the hips. This game in a combat between individuals of the opposing sides, 
though too often attack a single opponent until he is rescued by a companion. The game is over when the retreating side no longer advances to the combat. The boys are constantly throwing reed spears, and they are fairly expert spearmen several years before they have a steel-bladed spear of their own. Frequently they roll the spherical grapefruit and throw their reeds at the fruit as it passes, here, there, and everywhere, singly or in groups. Boys perform the Igaro dance step. A tin can in a boy's hands is irresistibly beaten in rhythmic time, and the dance as surely follows the peculiar rhythmic beating as the beating follows the possession of the can. As the boys come stringing home at night from watching the pottery fields, they come dancing, rhythmically beating a can, or two sticks, or their dinner basket, or beating time in the air as though they held a gangsa. The dance is in them, and they amuse themselves with it constantly. Both boys and girls are much in the river, where they swim and dive with great frolic. During the months of January and February, 1903, when there was much wind, the boys were daily flying kites. But it is a pastime borrowed of the Ilocano in the Pueblo. Now and then a little fellow may be seen with a small, very rude bow and arrow, which also is borrowed from the Ilocano since the arrival of the Spaniard. Puberty puberty is reached relatively late usually between the 14th and 16th years. No notice whatever is taken of it by the social group. There is neither feast nor right to mark the event either for the individual or the group. This non-observance of the fact of puberty would be very remarkable, since its observance is so widespread among primitive people. Were it not for the fact that the Igaro has developed the Olagon institution calculated to emphasize the fact and significance of puberty, Life in Olag though the Olag is primarily the sleeping place of all unmarried girls. In the mind of the people it island with startling consistency. The mating place of the young people of marriageable age. A common sight on a rest day in the Pueblo is that of a young man and woman. Each with an arm around the other. Loitering about under the same blanket. Talking and laughing. One often almost supporting the other. There seems at all times to be the greatest freedom and friendliness among the young people. I have seen both a young man carrying a young woman lying horizontally along his shoulders, and a young woman carrying a young man astride her back. However, practically all courtship is carried on in the old lag. The courtship of the Igaro is CLO.